0: Heavenly Father, we come to you, and as we have read from your word, and we ask now that we will hear from you, we ask that you will speak, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will bring these words to life, and so, Father, we commit our time now to you, that you may be glorified and not man, that our eyes may be turned to Jesus. And the things of heaven and not the things of earth. So help us to see, help us to hear, and help us to grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Aladdin, I wonder if you've seen this movie, if you remember this scene. Uh, it, it happens twice. I've got one picture, but it happens twice. Where Aladdin approaches Jasmine, the princess, and says to her, do you trust me? The first time, they're escaping from the guards in the marketplace, and they're leaping off the rooftops. Aladdin says to Jasmine, do you trust me? The second time here, Aladdin is on his magic flying carpet, and he wants to take Jasmine for a ride. And he says to her, do you trust me? at a foundational level, we all live life depending on who or what we trust. Do we trust in Jesus? Or do we trust in the world, our family, our friends, the people around us? Do we trust in money, status? Or do we trust in ourselves and our own abilities to know or to do things in life? What do you trust. And what you trust, or even potentially what you fear, determines how you live and how you respond to life. Do you trust me? This gospel of Mark is about Jesus, the Son of God who comes for the sinner, not for the self-righteous. Who works to grow the seeds of the gospel, as we heard last week, to grow the seeds of the gospel and bring life. And as you trust Jesus, he grows these seeds and it spreads, the roots of these seeds spread into every aspect of life. Or maybe we think that the gospel only speaks into. Our relationship with God doesn't touch the parts of life. But see, what we're going to see today is that the gospel will touch every aspect of life. And Jesus is concerned with every part of life. And he asks the question, do you trust me? Not simply with your soul and your salvation, but with life itself. And so we start this story with the disciples in the boat. And what we should, there's going to be a lot of things that we run past, so if I don't answer a question, just come and ask me afterwards. But what I want you to notice something. At the very it's Jesus who sends them into the lake. They're not just traveling there. Jesus says, let's get into the boat and go. And I suspect that Jesus knows that there's a storm coming. Why? Because he rebukes his disciples when it comes. The story goes that they get into the boat, they go out into the lake, and this storm comes, and the disciples freak out, wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus rebukes them. He doesn't say, oh, yeah. It's okay to freak out. I've got it under control. No, he rebukes them. He says, what's wrong with you? Don't you have faith? Why are you so afraid? The disciples had been with Jesus. They'd seen these miracles. They'd heard him teach. And here it says, don't you have faith? But remember, Jesus sent them into that storm. The disciples here still don't really understand who Jesus is. Now, we have to understand that the forces of nature back in those days, and even amongst uh, certain parts of our world today, are literally a force to be reckoned with. Uh, The forces of nature were worshipped as gods or spirits. Right? Thor, the, the Norse god of thunder. Osiris, the Egyptian god of the afterlife. Zeus, the supreme god of the Greeks, the god of weather and the storms. But here's the thing. Even though they ruled over this part of nature, their power was limited. Even Zeus, who stood at the top of the Greek gods, was only powerful over his domain. He couldn't influence other parts. But here Jesus is, and what we're going to see is that Jesus stands above all these gods. And we're reminded that Jesus doesn't just stand above nature. He doesn't just stand above these gods people create. But He creates. The very God's people worship. He creates all of nature. We remember in John 1 verse 3 that through Jesus, through Him, all things were made. Nothing that was made. Was made without him and the gods of the world back then and now regardless of what they are pale in comparison to jesus the gods of money of status of self and anything else you might care to fit in there jesus commands their silence and their submission be still And he says to his disciples, and he says to his disciples today, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me? Do you trust him? I don't know about you, but the disciples were terrified. Do you trust him? I'm going to move quickly through these. The next part of this story, we see Jesus enter this region of the Gerasenes. Now, this part of uh, Galilee was where the Greeks lived. This is the other side of the lake. The Jews were on one side, the uh, Greeks, the Gentiles were on the other. See, the Jews wouldn't be caught dead farming pigs. So, here Jesus is among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Why is this important? Because, again, in the ancient world, gods gods weren't only limited in their power, They were limited by their territory. So, a Greek god could only exercise his power within the Greek domain. The Egyptian god could only exercise power in the Egyptian domain. And if you know the story of Samson, uh, Samson was captured by the Philistines, and what do they do? They offer a sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and celebrate, saying, our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. See, a battle of nations was often a battle of the gods. And as Jesus steps into this region, away from the Jewish region, He powerfully delivers a man from demons. The demons themselves are petrified of Jesus. They beg Him not to torture them or send them away. And here we see Jesus with His power over spiritual authorities and powers. We also see that his power is unrestricted by geography or territory. We see a hint that Jesus is not just the saviour of the Jews, but he is the saviour of the world. And this demon-possessed man recognized that Jesus was different to all these gods that he knew. He saw that Jesus offered him nothing, something that these gods could not And he wanted to follow Jesus. But here Jesus says to him. Stay. And testify how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Do you trust him? I think we can say that the demon possessed man did. Well Jesus again returns across the lake. And this time he returns to the Jewish Part of the lake and here he is met with a large crowd and among them is a synagogue leader a church leader if you will named Jairus and all we have here is a father who simply wants to save his little girl from dying and he begs Jesus to save her now Jesus doesn't need him to beg he goes with him willingly but along the way as we read there's an interruption We'll come back to this interruption in a moment. But after this interruption, or because of this interruption, some people come from the house of Jairus. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? What can he do? How would you respond? The girl's dead, Jesus. You're too late. What a joke. And yet Jesus turns to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Do you trust me? And I wonder what Jairus would have thought. And maybe his desperation just overwhelmed any sense of unbelief or cynicism. I wonder the disciples who were with him, if they were confused or ashamed. Jesus, you're not really going to do this, are you? I wonder how they met with the laughing crowd as Jesus declares, this child is not dead but asleep. Do you really want to follow this guy? Whatever the case, Jesus moves forward with his plan. He goes into the girl's room and gently taking her by the hand and we're told they're speaking in their native language. Hey little girl, it's time to get up. His words are filled with the power of the Creator, the power to speak life into death. And the girl is restored to life and returned to the arms of her loving parents. But unlike the demon-possessed man, Jesus orders them not to let anyone know about this great miracle. Do you trust him? I suspect Jairus and this family now do. Now, let me come back to this interruption before. In the middle of Jairus and uh, his daughter, we have this bleeding woman. And we don't know exactly what the issue is, um, but what we also need to understand, though, is there's more to this than just physical sickness. We're told that this woman uh, had chronic bleeding for 12 years. Uh, but we read in Leviticus chapter 15, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Basically, what Leviticus tells us there is that for the Jew anyone who was bleeding, and it wasn't just women, but men as well, anyone who was bleeding would be unclean. What does that mean? It means that they can't engage in community. It means they can't go to the temple. They can't eat with other people because they are unclean. And so not only did this woman suffer for 12 years from chronic bleeding, she was socially and spiritually isolated. See, our world is built, our relationships in our world are built on predetermined and often unspoken sets of expectations and rules. It might be financial or social standing, shared experience, personal intelligence, your family connections, your cultural or social affiliations. And yet beyond that, there are invisible barriers to community or relationship. Those might be physical sickness or disability, might be mental health, negative experiences, family or cultural pressures. There's all sorts of things that become barriers to relationship. And for this woman, it was her sickness. Her physical sickness stopped her from social and spiritual connection. But here Jesus speaks into that. And he redefines that. Because what Jesus does is not only heal the woman, but restore her. Restore her into community and relationship. And more importantly, relationship with him. And in doing so, Jesus redefines relationships. Not relationships on human terms, but relationships in relation to God Himself. And to each one who comes to Him in faith, He says, go in peace. Do you trust Him? This woman did and her faith healed her. But not everyone had faith. Not everyone had faith in Jesus. We read in chapter 6 there that Jesus returns to his hometown. Uh, we suspect this is Nazareth. And there he encounters a cynical and faithless crowd. There were those who were amazed at his teaching, but most people were offended. He's a carpenter. He's one of us. He's Mary's boy. I went to school with Joseph. I went to school with Judas and Simon and James. He used to play with his sisters. Who does this guy think he is? And what's the result of their cynicism and their lack of faith? Well, we're told there that Jesus could do no miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. But we're also told this, that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Their lack of faith amazed Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't force himself on people. Now, it's one thing to talk about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. But it's a whole other thing to comprehend His grace. See, God doesn't change hearts that don't want to be changed. He just doesn't do it. We don't ever see Him do that. In the story of the Exodus, you might know that the story there. Uh, But we read numerous times God would harden the heart of Pharaoh. And you might go, that's not fair. But equally we read that Pharaoh and his officials hardened their heart. It goes both ways. One or the other. God is sovereign but people also have a choice. And people don't like that. People like something clear and redefined. What is it? Is it God's choice or is it my choice? Well, it's both. God chooses who he will save, but you have to make a choice as well. What will you do with him? What will you do with Jesus? And the Bible speaks of God's sovereignty and human choice. God will choose who he will save but people can choose whether to choose him or reject him. There's a song that uh, came up in my playlist um, by an a cappella group called Idea of North. Uh, You might know them. Uh, But they've got this hilarious song, and it's called The Unfortunate Tale of a Country Chicken. Well, you may have heard this story before. The story goes that there's an old mother hen And she is on a journey. She is making her way to a boat that will save her from a flood that she heard God was sending soon. But in the process, she gets stuck in a tree. And so she prays, Oh, Lord, please come and rescue me. And slowly she sees creatures two by two making their way to the boat. Well, soon two giraffes come by and they offer to save her. Hey, jump on. She replies, No, God will rescue me. Next, two elephants come by and scratch themselves on the tree. But she wouldn't budge from that big old tree. And the waves come up so high that they wet her knee. Two ducks come by and offer a ride. Again, she replied, no, God will rescue me. And then the clouds roll in and she looks up and thinks, it must be God calling out to me. Dear Lord, yes, it is I. But as the song goes, that silly chook was stone-dead cooked with a lightning bolt and thunder. As she rose to heaven and met with the good Lord, she asked how this could all be. He said, Dear fowl, you must repent. Those creatures are all heaven sent to save you from that savage rising sea. See, there are people who sit around and wait for God, for some sign, for something to change in their life. And all the while, God is sending them people. God is sending them all these opportunities to hear about Jesus. And they're waiting for a miracle. They're waiting for a sign. They're waiting for something of God. Maybe they're waiting for Jesus to calm a storm or to deliver some oppressive power or demon, to heal them of some sickness, or to fix a broken relationship. I don't know if he'll do that. But I do know that the gospel is a gift that is available right here, right now, if you would only receive it. Will you trust him? The promise of the gospel is not that Jesus will calm the storms. There's no promise about earthly deliverance from spiritual power. There's no promise of holding on to loved ones who pass away. There's no promise of healing in our physical, mental, or even emotional and spiritual brokenness. There's no promise there. Jesus can do that. We've read that he can. He can do that. But come back to the disciples. Jesus rebuked them because they lacked faith. He had been with them. And they asked him, don't you care? And he says, why are you so afraid? I'm right here. And in each of these instances, Jesus meets every single person. With compassion, mercy, and grace. The disciples, the demon-possessed man, Jairus, the woman with chronic bleeding, even the demons receive compassion from Jesus. But they also encounter His power. His power coupled with compassion. And our world is out of control. Governments are trying to manage this Pandemic. We have leaders who are trying to handle scandalous affairs in their office. We have businesses trying to make sense of the market. And we have families trying to manage their kids and their futures. Do we think we've got any real control? But Jesus is. Jesus is in control. I don't know what kind of picture you have of Jesus, but this isn't some blue-eyed, tall-blown, white-robed Jesus. This is the God of the universe. The God who controls the powers of nature. Who commands silence from spiritual powers. Who would raise the dead. Who would heal the sick. And yet all this power is held with compassion and gentleness. Just as Jesus held the hands of the little girl and said, little girl, it's time to get up. So the question stands, will you trust him? Will you trust that he cares enough about your past, your present and your future? But more than that, will you trust that he will be there? the disciples were terrified of jesus who is this the demons cowered before jesus don't torment us the people of the gerasenes were afraid of jesus go away the woman touched by jesus who touched jesus trembled with fear until he spoke peace to her the people around Jairus doubted and they laughed at Jesus. The people of his hometown were cynical. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough. He won't forgive my sin. It's too hard. I've done too much. No one loves me. No one wants anything to do with me. No one really knows. And yet Jesus rebukes each one of those thoughts. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And as you come to him, he says, go in peace and be free. But again, this peace and freedom isn't from the coming of the storm. It's not from the casting out of demons. It's not from the raising of the dead. It's not from the healing of the sick. As wonderful as that would be. This peace and this freedom flows from the presence of Jesus through the storm, battling with those demons, mourning the dead, and walking through life at what seems like lonely times. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but uh, my dad passed away suddenly uh, in the middle of the night, and mum came and woke us all up, um, and he was stone cold. And the moment I touched him, it, everything just said, he's gone. But in that very same moment, I experienced the peace that I've never experienced before. And let me tell you the result of that peace. It wasn't that I just felt nice and fuzzy and warm. That was my final semester of the studies that I was doing at the time. That was my best semester ever. I had an option to defer. Uh, my exams were probably a few weeks away. That was my best semester. I was able to help my mum and manage all of the deceased estates because there was peace. I, I can't explain it any more to you than that. But I've also seen it in the lives of other people. When the peace of Jesus comes. It doesn't take away the storm. It doesn't take away the demons. It doesn't take away the dead. It doesn't take away the loneliness. But Jesus is there. And that is a more precious gift than anything else. Life without Jesus. Even without the storms. Without the demons. Without Death, without the brokenness of life and relationship, is still a life without peace and true freedom. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Will you trust that Jesus knows what's best for you? Trust Him and find peace. Now, if that's still not enough, here's one final thing. Because this story, particularly the story about the dead girl, hints at something else. See, despite the power and the authority we witness in in these stories, it shadows a sacrifice that Jesus will make. See, what we see here is someone who controls the storms, who commands spiritual forces, who will raise the dead, who will restore people into relationship with God the Father. With all of that power and authority, he will choose to go to the cross. And what will he do when he goes to the cross? He will submit himself to the spiritual forces of darkness the very powers that He commands, He will submit to them. He will submit Himself to death. He will submit Himself to isolation and separation from His heavenly Father. He will submit Himself to death on the cross so that anyone who comes to Him, who hears this gospel and comes to Him, who repents and believes in Him, will not experience the submission Or the powerlessness of spiritual powers. Fear of death or isolation and loneliness. The very power that he holds, he will submit to the cross. So that no one else would need to. So will you trust the one who will lay down his life for you? And what then will you do with that? The demon-possessed man was told to go home to his own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for him and how he had mercy on him. What will you do? When Jasmine chose to trust Aladdin, she jumped with him to escape from the palace guards. But if you remember, the very next thing that happened they run into the arms of the guards that wasn't very successful when the disciples followed Jesus' directions they found themselves sailing into a storm the second time Jasmine chose to trust Aladdin she found herself experiencing the world from the view of flying carpet And when Jairus chose to trust Jesus he received his daughter alive in his arms There's no promise about what kind of life you'll get when you trust Jesus. There might be an unbearable storm, the battling of eternal demons, the mourning of loss of loved ones, or the wrestle of physical sickness or loneliness. On the other hand, you might experience the storms, the calming of a storm, the deliverance of demons. The return of loved ones and healing from sickness. There's no guarantee. The only guarantee is that whatever life holds, Jesus is there. And that's a promise. And we read that at the end of Matthew 28, as many people know well. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you trust him? Let's pray. Emily, Father, we come to you now. And some of us have thoughts racing through our hearts and minds asking this question. Do we trust you? For some, the answer is go in peace and be free. For others, there's The gentle rebuke why are you afraid don't be afraid just believe whatever is happening in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits father i pray you will speak speak the words of truth and grace that need to be heard speak that life might be found not in circumstances but in the person of jesus who will never change, who will always stand firm. And so, Father, we ask that whatever has been heard, whatever seeds have been sown might take root and grow. And we ask that, Holy Spirit, you might make it grow. So, Father, we commit ourselves and what we have heard to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.